Hello, and welcome to the G2 podcast. Hello. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Um, I want to talk about medical school. I feel like I mention the fact that I'm a doctor in every single <laughs> talk I do. Yeah, did you know? Did you know? Uh, when I was in medical school in King's College London, there was a lot of lectures, a lot of tutorials, like you wouldn't believe. Like, I didn't actually know back then that nine to five of lectures, Monday to Friday, is not really normal. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be everybody else's experience of uni. But anyway, it was also paired with a lot of uh, clinical placements in hospitals so that we could get hands-on clinical experience. You'd spend a few weeks or so in a department with a few other students, uh, and whether that's respiratory medicine, A&E, uh, some kind of surgery. Uh, this could be in a London hospital or a bit further out. You'd get given accommodation, just like student accommodation. And generally speaking, this was really good fun. Now, at the beginning of like second year, I think it was, you're given the choice of kind of partnering up with someone called a clinical partner. Uh, someone that you would be paired with for all of your placements. Uh, so it's quite, quite a commitment, because there'll be several years of, of being a clinical partner together. And one of my best friends, who I met in my first year of uni, a guy called Ali, uh, we quickly hit it off with our shared love of doing as little studying as possible. And we requested to be clinical partners. We'd be on all placements together, stay in the same accommodation, study together, doing presentations together, and... Luckily, we got on really well and had loads of fun. But I have to say that we definitely were not totally like, good influences on each other. We, we were a bit more partners in crime than clinical partners, if I'm honest. And we got up to our fair share of mischief. But one of our favorite hobbies was when we were on placement to go to the junior doctor's mess, like a junior doctor's common room, and check out the lockers. Now, normally, they'd be secured with very small, very cheap padlocks, which... If you're a lock-picking enthusiast like my friend Ali, <laughs> they're really easy to open with a tool called a rake. You basically shove it in, apply some tension, shake it around, and in a few seconds, it pops open. So you'd be surprised at how insecure padlocks are. But anyway, uh, just for the record, we did not steal anything. We did not go through anyone's stuff. But one of our favorite things to do was to rake open some locks, open the, open the locker, find some random decor from the common room and put it inside for our unsuspecting junior doctor to find. Now imagine finishing your shift as a junior doctor, long hard day, go back to your locker to get your stuff, you open up and a potted plant is just inside. How did, like, we, ne we never actually saw anyone in person like, you know, seeing their reaction, but just imagining their reaction was enough entertainment for us. Just like Potted plant was my favorite thing to put inside. But anyway, just, uh, I just want to note very strongly that G2 does not encourage this kind of behavior. Anyway, the less you know about my past life of crime, the better, so we better, we better move on. And we're going to be looking at Philippians 1, verses 3 to 8 at the start of this series. Uh, it's not about breaking into people's lockers, but about the relational gospel, about fellowship. And we're going to explore the concept of fellowship in the gospel and what it means for us. So uh, just to give you some context for this passage, the person writing this letter is the Apostle Paul, who is one of the most influential people in the first century early Christian church. Now, Paul didn't know Jesus during Jesus' lifetime, uh, and actually he, was, he, was a, he persecuted early disciples of Jesus. 
uh, before his life was turned around by a vision and encounter with Jesus. And after that, he became a firm believer. Uh, and the Philippians are a Christian church in a, uh, a city called Philippi that no longer exists, but is a major Greek city. And the book of Philippians is a letter that Paul sent to this church in Philippi to thank and encourage them and maintain his relationship with them. Uh, Paul's actually writing from prison. Uh, Paul was imprisoned several times, I think three times during his life, essentially for believing in Jesus and acting on those beliefs. Okay, so that's the context. Let's read uh, the passage. Philippians 1 verses 3 to 8 should be up there. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, the sentence I want to draw out here is, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Now, just to cover some uh, definitions, I guess the word gospel literally means good news and refers to the salvation we have through Jesus when he came to earth, died for us on the cross, and rose again to defeat death in our place. Now, in the phrase partnership in the gospel, the word partnership is translated from the original ancient Greek word koinonia. Now, in some translations, in the King, like the King James, it's translated to mean fellowship, which uh, is a word maybe some of you are familiar with. And in the NIV and ESV and other translations, it's translated to partnership. It's got a few different ways of, uh, a few different definitions, including communion, sharing, joint participation, association, contribution. So that's the kind of breadth, the umbrella terms for koinonia. Now, fellowship, some of you might use quite often. I know I do. But potentially, it's become a little bit watered down in modern times. It's maybe even seen as a bit of an old-fashioned word. So perhaps it's not used much anymore in some circles. But it's such a wonderful word, and I kind of want to breathe some life into it today. I know sometimes I've used the word to just mean hanging out with friends after church or having, just having a chat with Christian friends, which I might add is not a bad thing to do. In fact, it's an excellent thing to do and something I missed very much during the pandemic with our lockdowns and online church. Uh, but one thing I want to explore today from Paul's opening words is that Christian fellowship transcends and goes beyond mere friendship and social interaction, but it represents something so much deeper. Now, in the first century, during Paul's time, the word koinonia was used in many different contexts, many of which had commercial or business or economic connotations and undertones. It could have referred to a relationship between individuals who were partnering their resources to, for a common like commercial enterprise, maybe buying a boat together so they could start a fishing business. It could be a more legalistic agreement, uh, outlining mutual obligations between two parties, or perhaps even a political alliance. And within the early church amongst Christians, 
Fellowship would have involved personal sacrifice and commitment. Believers shared resources, supported each other in times of need, and worked together to spread the message of Jesus. Uh, I want to read Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now this sense of shared purpose and sacrifice is crucial to understanding the depth of relationship Paul speaks of in his letter. The joy he expresses in his prayers for the Philippians stem from this deep connection and shared commitment to the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus. This deep-seated partnership indicates a mutual involvement in each other's lives that goes beyond just surface-level, superficial engagement. It's a fellowship rooted in shared beliefs, values, objectives, where each member is actively invested in the spiritual growth and well-being of each other, as well as the collective mission to spread the good news, the gospel, the news that Jesus has saved us. Now, Paul's relationship with the Philippians exemplifies this gospel-centered partnership. Despite physical separation and Paul's imprisonment, this bond was deepened through their shared commitment to the gospel. Even chains couldn't hold them back. They supported Paul not as a charitable act, but as part of their shared mission. And Paul prayed and encouraged and shared his joy even though he was in prison. And this mutual support is the essence of Christian fellowship. It's about coming together for a purpose greater than ourselves. Now I think fellowship isn't just characterized by words and actions, but also by deep feelings of joy. Joy is a key part of our salvation in Jesus, and it's intricately tied to our fellowship as believers. And this joy is not merely an emotional response, but it's a profound realization of our salvation in Christ and our shared mission. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul's use of the word joy is definitely not incidental. Remember, he's actually writing from prison, not from a sunny beach in Greece. And it wasn't a place where joy would be easy for him to express. But he expresses it anyway, and it reflects such a deep and spiritual contentment that comes from being in a relationship with God, as well as being in a partnership with fellow believers who are committed to the gospel. Now John writes in his third epistle, It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy. Notice how Paul and John express that the joy they have comes from partnership in the gospel. 
They don't say, it gives me joy that we had great meals together. It gives me joy that we had great discussions together. No, their joy is centered on the gospel. So what is fellowship in the gospel? Well, I think what we can take from this exploration is that fellowship is firstly partnership in the gospel and secondly shared joy in the gospel. And this partnership in the gospel, this shared joy, goes far beyond the typical associations we might have with fellowship. It's not just about social gatherings, but about a profound unity and purpose. When we talk about fellowship in the church, it should encompass more than just social interactions. It's about a collective commitment to the mission of Jesus. It involves investing in each other's spiritual growth, encouraging one another, and supporting each other in times of need. And this fellowship is active, not passive. It's about doing life and faith together with a purpose and with the gospel right at the heart of that. For me and my friend Ali, we were clinical partners and had this partnership that went beyond just friendship. We shared goals to pass our placements, to succeed in medical school, to become excellent doctors. We had successes and failures, ups and downs, journeyed together very closely, supporting and encouraging one another, challenging each other, helping each other study, and putting as many things as we could into junior doctor's lockers. But why is this kind of fellowship so important? Because the gospel is a message of transformation. And this transformation is not just individual, it's communal. It's communal. The gospel changes us, not only personally, but also redefines how we interact with others and how we act collectively together. It creates a new community, the body of Christ, where each member is vital and valued. And this community is marked by love, sacrifice, and a shared vision. In this community, our relationships should not be solely defined by our preferences, our social status, or even our personal interests, but by our common identity in Christ. Paul's letter to the Philippians emphasizes this unity in Jesus. He rejoices not because they share common hobbies and interests, but because they were partners in the gospel. Fellowship in the gospel challenges us to look beyond our individual needs and desires. It calls us to consider the needs of others, to bear one another's burdens, to share each other's joys, and to encourage one another in our walk with Jesus. So practically speaking, what does this mean for us? Now, many of us uh, already come here on Sunday to pray together, learn together, worship together, and that is an amazing and wonderful thing. And some of us, many of us, meet each week in small group to discuss, challenge, encourage, and that is amazing too. But I know I sometimes turn up to church and forget to engage in true fellowship. I kind of uh, go back into my introvert safe space, and I'm at church, I'm praying, I'm learning, I'm worshiping, but it's kind of, um, kind of individual, just between me and God, if you know what I mean. But if my relationships with fellow believers are going to be defined by fellowship in the gospel, 
I have to be intentional about making that so. We have to be intentional about making that so. It involves sharing our faith journeys, discussing biblical truths, supporting each other in our spiritual growth. Living out the gospel means reflecting Jesus' love in our interactions. It's about showing grace, forgiveness, support. It's about being present for one another, both in times of need and in times of celebration. Our fellowship is also expressed through collective service, engaging in mission projects or community support or acts of kindness. And these are practical ways that we can live out our partnership in the gospel. By serving together, we not only impact the world around us, but also strengthen our bonds with each other. And prayer, of course, is a vital part of our fellowship. By praying for and with each other, we invite God's presence into our relationships. Paul's consistent prayer for the Philippians, despite his situation in prison, and their prayers for him were a key part of their fellowship. And likewise, our prayers for and with one another should be one cornerstone of our community life. While social activities and friendships within the church are incredibly important, they are not the foundation of our unity. Our unity is in the gospel, a truth that binds us across diverse cultures and backgrounds. Now, contemporary society often reduces fellowship to casual socializing or networking. And while those activities are not negative and they're great, they lack the depth and purpose of true Christian koinonia, a fellowship that is deeply relational, mission-focused, and sacrificial, and centered around the transformative power of the gospel. As we reflect on Paul's word to the Philippians, let's be challenged to redefine our understanding of fellowship, of koinonia, not that any of us knew what koinonia was before today. Let us strive to build relationships that are grounded in our shared faith, characterized by mutual love and sacrifice, and united in our mission to spread the good news of Jesus. If you feel challenged by something in a Sunday talk, think about how you could partner with someone to discuss, to learn, and to grow together. If you have a prayer on your heart, think about how you could partner with someone so that you can gather together in the name of Jesus and make your requests together. If you're not part of a small group, think about joining one. It's such a great way to participate in church, in community, and in fellowship in the gospel. Uh, So if you're interested, then come talk to Hannah or Kat or anyone, really, after the service. (laughs) Perhaps try to find more opportunities to talk about faith, about God, about Jesus, about the Bible. Because when we journey together in the name of Jesus, we are undoubtedly stronger. As we face challenges in our lives and in our world, our fellowship in the gospel becomes a source of strength and encouragement and joy. As we face challenges in our relationships, our shared fellowship in the gospel can build bridges and bridge those differences. 
as the wider church faces challenges in this increasingly non-religious, secular world, our collective fellowship in the gospel and our role as parts of the body of Christ are a vehicle through which God can build his kingdom. So let us be people whose relationships are centered on the gospel. Koinonia, fellowship, partnership, communion. Let us be those people. Amen.